0: Welcome to Episode 2 of Metascam. We are a podcast dissecting scams, one fraudster at a time. And now, from the excellence in podcast studios, it's time for another episode of Metascam. We break down scammers' approaches, tricks, misdirections, and other tools they use, and present you with our direct analysis.
1: This is Peter. And this is Andy. Coming up here in episode number two of Metascam. We have social media friend scams, a charity scam, and we're gonna wrap things up by talking about a hotel check-in scam. The information presented in this show is based on personal opinion and should be taken as such. Consult your personal attorney before making any financial decision. And hey, if you want to get a hold of any of us here at Metascam, it's pretty easy to do. You can email us at hello at Metascam.com, or you can find us at Twitter at Metascam Show. All right, Peter, we're going to talk about some social media scams. These are ones that are going around. They've been around for a while, but they continue to keep popping back up, and Let's kind of look at what scammers are going to be able to learn about us through our
0: just normal social media. Well, Andy, it's quite interesting. Actually, there's a lot of information. It's a treasure trove of information that we typically put put out there. The reason why I focus on uh, that information a lot is that our firm, Strategic Risk Management, actually is contracted by... Uh, corporations and high net worth individuals to conduct deep dive due diligence and background investigations on individuals. So this becomes a very important part of our investigation is looking at the social media that sometimes our targets are putting out there. And it runs the full gamut of what they put out on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. For example, on Facebook, some people I know, and and I congratulate those of you who are very uh, diligent in setting up your privacy settings, but there's a lot of individuals that don't, and it's an amazing amount of people that I look at who don't who don't set those privacy settings and we can find out a tremendous amount of information regarding them from, of course, their photos, but then basically uh, their, na- their full names, their date of birth. Uh, sometimes even if it's just a month and a date, we can pretty much figure out the year of birth by finding out where they went to school and doing a Google search on that and seeing what year they graduated and putting those pieces together. Uh, of course, uh, where they live, area where they live, their interests, their favorite books, their movies, their restaurants they go to, their passions, their complaints, uh, their vacation plans, especially if they're on vacation, we can find out where they are, uh, the civil status, or if, if they're if they're married, if they have children, and of course their circle of friends. Tremendous amount of information that can be used uh, by scammers for identity theft. Then there's Twitter. Twitter basically helps the scammer to determine your pattern of life, where you are, at what time you're there, at what time you arrived, when you left. It it provides a window of uh, into what are your motivations and what are your vulnerabilities. In the security world, we tend to think we don't. Our best protection is not as being unpredictable. If we're predictable. Someone uh, who wants to conduct some kind of uh, attack against us, whether it's a scammer, whether it's a kidnapper, whether it's a terrorist, if we're predictable, we're more likely to be targeted than someone who's totally unpredictable. Then there's LinkedIn. I like LinkedIn in particular from an investigative standpoint because that provides the complete professional bio uh, on someone uh, what, and what their interests are, if they're a member of different groups, what social causes they might support, what awards, what publications, what languages they speak. And, of course, their network of contacts. And we'll talk a little bit later about how that network of contacts can be used by a
1: scammer. So when you can kind of uh, combine all of those together, which, you know, social media kind of rewards you for sharing uh, all that information, you know, they, they beg you to complete your profile uh, they'll reward you with a completion, you know, that bar that goes from zero to 100%. So many people need to complete that bar. They have to have it filled out so that little, little nagging box goes away. But then you realize across all the different social media platforms, all the information you just talked about that you share, while good, could be used against you. And we're going to talk about one of those ways it's it used against you uh, right now, and that is uh, in Facebook. This is the Facebook friend scam this is where you will get a friend request from somebody who's already a friend. And what has happened in the background is the scammer's gone in and duplicated somebody else's profile. And so you get a friend request and you think to yourself, well, why aren't I friends with this person? Man, that's, that's shame on me. And it's that sense of embarrassment that we kind of feel to ourselves, Hey, why, for whatever reason, why aren't I friends with this person? And so you say automatically, yep, let me confirm my friend request with them. And that's, where the scammer now has a little it's got their, they have their foot in the door. And at that point in time, they're going to engage you in a conversation or your friends in a conversation. They're after a lot of things. Your friends list, they may ask you for money. They'll tell you they're in a situation and hey, they didn't want to post about this publicly. So they created this, this additional account and really they're in a financial jam. And they, if they could, you could just send them some money. They'd appreciate it. They're also going to be able to spam you with messages on your friend wall or your wall rather, or your direct inbox or your messaging uh, platform. They'll start sending you spam that way. And they can also get your phone number. When they'll say, hey, do me a favor, text me. Uh, this is my private text number. Could you do me a favor and text me? And I have some information to share with you, and I didn't want to do this publicly. And so this, they get you wrapped up in this sense of guilt and panic and what's going on and confusion. And before you know it, you have given off your information to the scammer. Now, an easy way to avoid this is if you get a friend request from somebody that you are already friends with in real life and you kind of think to yourself, why aren't I friends with them on Facebook? If you have that initial thought, number one, check. See if you're friends with them on Facebook. If you are friends with them on Facebook and they're sending you an additional request, it's not them. Look at the originating profile. The click on the link, instead of clicking confirm, click on the little link that goes to their profile and see exactly how many of your friends that you have in common are friends with them as well. If it's a low number or none, that's another huge red flag. You don't want to friend with them because obviously they're not them. If there's nothing on their profile, I wouldn't friend them either. If there's just no information there, it's a brand new profile or if their information is wrong or incomplete. Again, another huge red flag. See if you can validate that friend request another way. Can you call them? Call them up and go, hey, did you just send me a friend request? And they go, what? What are you talking about? No, I'm in Tahiti or wherever they're at. Then uh, you'd know immediately. Obviously, you, hey, you know what? You, Someone's duplicated your account. And you'll sue people all the time on Facebook that says, hey, don't accept friend requests from me because it's really not me. So please don't do this. So you want to make sure that whoever is friending you is somebody or sent you a friend request is somebody you actually know. And it's very easy to duplicate an account, both on Facebook. I mean, Facebook, all you do is you go to someone's account, you save their picture, you create another account with another email and use their name. And because you know what? There's so many John Does in the world that Facebook doesn't care if your name is not unique. They care if that email address is unique, but email addresses are a dime a dozen, or if not cheaper. So people will set up, fake accounts with somebody else's name and somebody else's profile picture, and then start friend requesting everybody that they have on their friends list because Facebook in general likes to share who you're friends with. And as you said at the top, privacy settings, always review them. I tend to review mine once every three months, maybe even a little uh, more often than that because uh, I got burned once. I got burned by somebody who who posted and checked me in somewhere and posted something that uh, was inappropriate. And as soon as they posted it, my phone blew up because I was getting text messages from friends going, are you okay? Are you, do you need help? Do you need me to come get you? And it was just a bad scene. So because of that, you know, being burned once, I'm very cautious. You can't post to my timeline. You can't do a lot of things in my account. But Facebook uh, is notorious for resetting their, their privacy settings so they'll go in and reset them and go, oh, by the way, we did a privacy uh, update. You may want to go check your privacy settings without bothering to tell you, by the way, we uh, we defaulted everything to share everything. So always make it a point at least every three months to go in there and check your security settings. But Facebook isn't the only one that can do this. Uh, Peter, why don't you tell us a little bit about LinkedIn and how they can establish fake profiles.
0: Absolutely. Uh, scammers uh, use LinkedIn as a great way to... Uh, to, to prey on a number of individuals through different ways. It, it's so easy to set up a pre- fake profile on LinkedIn. Just one of the first steps is going out and getting a burner phone, whether you buy it at 7-Eleven or Walmart or Best Buy, or even getting a, one of these burner apps that you can download now into your iPhone. Establishing that fake telephone number with that, whatever area code you want, whether whatever part of the United States or the world then going ahead and getting that fake email account, and then using those basically to as a baseline for setting up your LinkedIn account. And you can set up that LinkedIn account probably and have it all filled out within 30 minutes to 45 minutes, and it can look really good and very effective. And once that account is set up, you can literally have probably about 500 contacts established within one week and probably 1,000 within 10 days. It is that easy. You might think, well, how can that be? How can you, how can you get people to accept your invitation if, you, if they don't know you? It's so simple. The majority of people will click on accept without even necessarily going to the profile itself. It's just sort of getting additional contacts in your network, and people think that's a good thing. However, there are some people that will say, well, I will never click on an invitation from someone I don't know. Yeah, right. Maybe that's true, but I know a way that's very easy to get to you. First of all, finding out where you're working and in what industry, and then starting to invite people that are in your network to become my contacts. And then at the very end, sending that invitation out to you, to invite you. And once you see that you share perhaps 10, 15 mutual contacts with me, it's much more likely that you're going to accept. Then the scammer can begin to have a bit of a dialogue with you via email to eventually gain more and more of your trust to eventually be able to send to you an email that has a link or has a malicious has a fi- has a download and a file for you to click on that's going to have a malicious uh, malware that you can, uh, once you click on it, it's going to upload into your computer and basically where they can gain control of your computer. So it's very easy for them to actually use LinkedIn to do this. There's literally thousands of such fake profiles out there, although LinkedIn tries its best. Uh, if people identify a suspicious uh, profile, they will run it down and, and turn profiles off. But literally, it's just so easy to create them. They're, they're out there. So how can you avoid becoming, uh, being attacked by such a scam. First of all, do not accept an invite from someone who you don't personally know. And if you receive an invite from somebody, you think, well, I might know this person, or this is a, could be an interesting contact, then try to verify. Verify that name. Try to verify that photo by looking at other images that might pop up on Google. See if they correlate. If they correlate Perhaps it's a good indicator. If they don't correlate, I would be very, very concerned. And, of course, and you've heard this millions of times, always scan any files that you received uh, from people that you don't know especially, but even from people you know. Scan them with antivirus software before you open them.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things with LinkedIn is we are, we're kind of in business mode. And when you're in business mode, a lot of times you want to, as you said, increase your amount of people that you, you're networking with. And you also kind of your guard might be a little bit down because you're thinking business contacts and you're thinking how can I better myself? How can I better my company? How is this good for everybody? And uh, yeah, it looks like a good thing, and you accept that request. And now it's not an instant. See, the difference here is Facebook is usually very instant where the scammer attacks, and LinkedIn it sounds like they're they're gonna you know go silent for a while and build some trust and rapport with you, and then spring up a file on you to have a more of a More of an impact because if you open up that file and it's some kind of crypto lock software that now, you know, encrypts your entire network, uh, that's, that's bad news right there. So you have to be vigilant. That's our lesson here. Don't accept friend requests from anybody that you don't know. Trust and verify. You always want to verify who that person is before you accept them into your network or on your friends list. Always do that little bit of extra work, that extra 30 seconds to a minute, maybe even five minutes if you're, you know, whatever it takes. That can save you in the long run. So remember, just always be vigilant in your social media and you should come out okay. Now, Peter, speaking of uh, you know people playing on our good side and our heartstrings, you're talking about a charity scam uh, last episode. And we kind of wanted to dive into that and see exactly how these charity scams work why they work on us, and what we can do to avoid those.
0: Well, first of all, I want to put out there a disclaimer. There are thousands of legitimate charities that depend on generosity of, of everyone. So I don't want to make people be apprehensive about charities in general, but just to be cautious, especially when you are approached by someone claiming to be representing a charity asking for a donation. Uh, One thing is for you to to get online and look for a charity and offer to make a donation. Another thing is when you're approached unexpectedly by someone, that could be at your front door, but more likely it's going to be someone who's going to be calling you, uh, a call that you're not expecting, you receive the call, and all of a sudden they're asking for a generous donation for some cause. And usually this happens uh, immediately after some major tragedy, national disaster, natural disasters, such as a hurricane in Haiti, or maybe a, a earthquake uh, that could happen anywhere. And then people are hearing this news, is awful news, on the, on, the, on the nightly news, and, and they get all wrapped up about this and think, oh, I wish I could do something about this. They receive that call, and, it, and it's the timing, and it's the emotional response. Yeah, I do want to help. Okay, and so can you just help us out with $50? And all we need is your credit card number or your debit card number. And, and unfortunately, too many people respond to that and provide those credit card numbers or debit card numbers, not only getting scammed out of the money that they are committing to, but once that scammer has your credit card number or debit card number, it's very possible that they will use that to draw additional money uh, from your accounts. Uh, so once again, they are preying upon your nat- your natural tendency to want to be generous, especially immediately after a major uh, nat- natural disaster, and they're going to prey upon also the Not only that compassion, but timing. They want to get you to to commit immediately that amount of money. Um, What we have to be cautious about, you have time. And even if they're calling you, it doesn't mean necessarily that they are scammers, but there's a means to verify this charity that they are saying that they represent by asking them, first of all, I would ask them to send me an email. With the information, so I can go and I can research this charity or send me some uh, literature via the mail. I'm very happy to consider donating, but I want some additional information. Nothing wrong with that. And if it's a legitimate charity, they will give you that information. They're not going to pressure you. I've received calls a number of times, and and, and many times some of these charity scams has something to do with with veterans, disabled veterans, wounded warriors. And once again, there are legitimate charities for those causes but there are so many scammers that will take advantage of that. And I received a call a couple weeks ago it was I think it was a just dis- disabled veterans and they and the guy was going through his spiel really fast. I could tell that it, w- it was scripted and he wanted me to give money and I said, "Can you send me an email?" And he kept on going, "No, no, no, he can just take the pledge over the telephone. It's very easy." And he he just refused. And then when I finally said, "I'm not going to provide any donation," Give my credit card number over the phone until you can send me some information. Now, if it was a legitimate charity, they would have understood and sent that to me. But he all of a sudden said, "Well, thank you very much," and he hung up on me. So that was a pretty good indication that that was probably not a legitimate charity. So it's important to verify, as we we mentioned that term a number of, of times earlier, to verify if someone is coming to us an unsolicited approach for whatever it is, asking us for for our credit card or debit card to make payment and we need to verify that it's an actual charity in this case and conduct our uh, research whether it's going to the website and we have to be a little bit careful because some websites can be cloned uh, so we need to verify that the website that we may be uh, setting up a login and and donating money to is a legitimate one. But in charities in general, we can research those charities. There's a number of different organizations out there who we can contact, such as the Better Business Bureau Wise Giving Alliance. There's a Charity Navigator. There's Charity Watch. Uh, One I particularly like is GuideStar. There is the IRS Search for Tax Exempt Organizations. And there's the National Association of State Charity uh, official, So you can do the research on those charities and decide which one might be the best charity for you to use. And I encourage you to do that every time that you're thinking about making a donation. Just get online and become familiar with these different uh, databases that provide information on the charities. Not only whether or not they're legitimate, but also how much of the money that you're donating is actually ultimately reaching the uh, victims of a tragedy. You know, Some of them are pocketing a lot of this information for various administrative fees, but we want to make sure that the money you give is going out and actually having an impact on, on the victims of, of whatever
1: the tragedy that they may cover. So I think the red flags for me on this one was the unsolicited phone call and the, the ask for the credit card and then the pressure. Uh, last I checked, there aren't many uh, charities out there running on a zero budget right now that, that desperately need my $50 or they're going to you know shut the lights off. I don't think that's happening. So that, you have time, you, and you, you said that perfectly. You have the time. If you're willing to donate, you're willing to make that contribution, then the charity is going to be more than happy to give you the, however much time you need because they live, thrive, and survive off the donations of others. And if you don't have that, then the charity is going to eventually shut down. So they're going to give you all the time you need to make that properly informed decision. And if you can't get that time, you, you don't want to donate. Uh, that's just the big red flag right there, I think just the amount of time we will have the, uh, information here with those, uh, the research that you talked about, the science we'll link those up on our website at metascam.com. So you guys can check those out and be sure you familiarize yourself with all the information you have in order to make your informed decision. And as Peter said, there are plenty of really good charitable organizations that do need your donations that do go to the good causes. So not all of them are scams. Just do your research because unfortunately, there are fraudsters out there who will take advantage of situations. Hey folks, if you're like us, you like shopping online, you like heading over to Amazon, it's a trusted site. Great stuff. You can get Amazon Prime and uh, literally stuff can be at your door the same day, which is pretty amazing. And if you do us a favor, head over to metascam.com forward slash Amazon. That's going to take you right over to Amazon's website. Everything works 100% the same. It's the same trusted site with the same great service. The only difference is we get a little bit of a kickback for every dollar you spend just for sitting over there. It's a little way that you can help us out what we're doing here at MetaScam. I want to drop this one on you, Peter. This was a recent event where I had uh, checked into a hotel. Which is not uncommon. People go to hotels quite often. And I checked it in the hotel, done, you know, gone to the front desk, given my uh, credit card for incidentals, just in case I rack anything up you know, out of that, that mini bar that's in there. It's like $5 for a bottle of water. That's insane. So, given the credit card, head on up to the room. I'm not in the room, but maybe, I don't know, 15 minutes of my phone rings. It's like, okay. And I answer it, and the guy says, hey, I'm from the front desk. It's okay. He said, uh, we had a problem with your credit card uh, for the incidentals. If you could do us a favor and uh, just give us that credit card again, uh, we'll be more than happy to take care of that. And I thought about it for a second. I was literally reaching for my wallet. And I said, well, you know what? I'll come downstairs. Oh, no, there's no need for that. Uh, we just take it right over the phone. And I was like, no, nah, that's fine. I got to come downstairs. Anyhow, I'm meeting some people down there. I'll just I'll stop by the front desk. Well, uh, sir, hang on one second. It looks like it's working. Uh, thanks for your time. And they hung up the phone. So right away, that tells me, scam. So what's happening there is, the scammers calling into hotels. They know what time the hotel check-ins are. They'll call the front desk and pick a random room number. Hey, could you transfer me to room 603? Hotel front desk doing their job, transfers that call to room 603. There may or may not be anybody in room 603, but there very well might be. 603 picks up. Scammer claims are from the front desk, asks for the credit card, says there's a problem with it. If they could verify it, would be great. Person gives them the credit card over the phone. They go, okay, this is fantastic. Thank you very much. And who knows what just happened? You've now given your credit card information over to a stranger over the phone. They've now got it. They've either run something immediately or they're just going to sell them on the black market or who knows what they're going to do with it. It's important. Again, we've, uh, This has been the, the message of this episode has been Verify. You always want to verify who you're talking with. And uh, for me, uh, if I'm going to give out information over the phone at at a hotel, I I just don't. I'll come down on the front desk if there's a problem. I'd rather talk to the person, try to figure out what's going on in person anyhow. So what is happening on this situation is the scammers are taking advantage of the fact that we're kind of in a strange environment. We're just checked in the hotel room. We're kind of discombobulated. We're trying to get everything sorted up. Maybe we're unpacking and getting stuff, you know, put in the closet or wherever, looking at what we're going to do. We're excited because we're in the hotel, got big plans for the weekend or whatever it is that we're doing there. So our minds aren't focused. And then we get that phone call and now there's a problem. Well, we don't want a problem. We're, we're, if we're on vacation or whatever we're doing at the hotel, we don't want a problem. So we want to fix that problem immediately. So it's out of our sight and out of our mind. And he catches off guard. And now we go ahead and we, okay, let's fix this problem. Let me give you credit card information because you're at the hotel. They say they're from the front desk. Sounds good to me. And uh, you give them the information. And our guard is, is let down. And they're, you know, this happens too often. I reported it to the hotel. And they went, yeah, yeah. Not really much we can do about that. Because, you know, they have to transfer a phone call in. What if someone's literally, literally trying to get a hold of you? It's legitimate. They're trying to get a hold of you. We kind of have to transfer that call in. So unfortunately, this is a scam that happens time and time again. Hotels are aware of it. And unfortunately, right now, they say there's not much they can do about it. I'm kind of thinking we're going to get to the stage soon when we're not going to have inbound calls from hotels. Everybody has a cell phone on them these days, most people. And there's less and less reason to have that inbound call to the hotel. So I think that's the only way to stop this. And I guess if enough scammers take advantage of it, then uh, it will get stopped.
0: Have you heard ever heard of something like that, Peter? Actually, Andy, I've heard a couple of cases, but it's a very uh, very creative and easy scam, as you mentioned. And you are a little bit, uh, you're not really focused on this when you're checking in, you're getting settled getting settled and all of a sudden you've just had that contact with the front desk and they're just calling to verify because they've had a problem with it and you want to make sure the credit card's fine. So they don't even have to refer to you by your name. If all they have is your room number, you answer, and they say they're calling from the front desk. They need to verify the credit card number and ask you for the number and you're going to give the number... And they're going to ask you, how does your name read on that card? And so you give them the exact name. And then they'll ask you for the expiration date. So easy for you to turn that around, even if it's the phone call, asking them for what is the number that you have? What is the name that you have? And then I'll verify it. Uh, But one of the first things, of course, would be, you know, say, I'll call you right back hanging up the phone and calling back to front desk and asking, is there a problem with my credit card? Let's resolve it. But I like uh, Andy's response better. His first inclination was going down there to the front desk, and that's, that's what I would recommend to do as well because you, you, that is your, your best reassurance that there's nobody in the middle between the front desk and you and trying to scam those details out of you. So that's a, it's a very interesting scam, and I don't think it's very well— known by the public that that scam's out there. But every day, scammers are coming up with new different techniques. So they're very creative. When something has run its course, they'll come up with something new and creative to, to catch you off guard.
1: I saw a statistic uh, this week that said since January, they have found over 300 skimmers uh, here in Orlando. And we talked about skimmers on episode number one. And uh, it's coming more into the spotlight, and people are becoming more and more aware of them. Uh, They're saying, you know, at the point now where don't use a debit card, if you have to use a card at a gas station or other place, you run it as credit uh, to get yourself that protection or head into the uh, station itself and talk to the attendant and do the transaction that way. So I'm glad that it's becoming more and more aware, but I'm sad that it's also this prevalent
0: in in this day and age.
1: I would highly recommend to
0: limit the use of a debit card to practically Nothing, because I mean, I have a debit card as well. When I open my accounts, I don't think I ever used it. And I'm, I know people are out there that are using their debit cards and maybe it's because they don't have substantial lines of credit, but you don't have to have a substantial line of credit to have a credit card. And just, even if it's a minimal line, you can transfer money usually automatically from your account, from your checking account to pay that credit card. And, and that credit card is one of your best lines of defense if in fact you get caught up in a, a scam or a little illegitimate charge, uh, where you have you have recourse, you can you can go back to the bank or the credit card uh, company and and refute the charge. And usually usually you have that money returned to you with a debit card. Most of the times you're you're out of luck because that money's gone. It's it's almost like uh, giving somebody cash and saying I want it back. Good luck,
1: guys, yeah, because that's coming right out of your bank account as opposed to going through the credit agency. So very good point there. Tell us a little bit more. I know we talked a little bit last week about your company, uh, but it's so interesting to me. It fits right into what we're doing here at MediScan. Could you talk a little bit more about it and some of the services that you can offer people?
0: Well, our firm, Strategic Risk Management, it provides global services. Even though we're located headquartered in Orlando, Florida, we provide services to clients uh, nationwide, as well as we do have a lot of clients from overseas. And we we provide a variety of security services from background investigations, due diligence, litigation support, uh, security training, cybersecurity, social engineering, awareness training. And uh, this is provided predominantly to corporate clients as well as high net worth individuals. I go out on a number of occasions and give uh, presentations to individuals who are interested in learning more about uh, fraud, scams, Uh, social engineering uh, attacks that can be launched against you or your company. And I'd be more than happy to entertain that possibility if you would be interested in learning more about this. If I'm available to come out to speak to a group uh, that you might belong to or maybe even your company, feel free to contact me. Uh, Just call us at 407-475-0154 whether it's just for educational purposes or if you feel that you've been victimized by fraud or a scam, please feel free to contact us and we'll see what we can do for you, at least point you in the right direction of how to help you perhaps uh, put everything back together.
1: But as it's often said, the best offense is a great defense. So your company will actually uh, send you or other people out to somebody else's business or firm to actually educate them on the dangers of frauds and online frauds and scams and on the corporate level, we'll say, uh, things that their business may be exposed to that they don't even know about.
0: Absolutely right. The first the first line is basically the educational piece, the training. It's so important because it, in the realm of cybersecurity, let's say, as I mentioned earlier, the weakest link in your security is going to be the human factor because… Fraudsters, scammers, social engineers are going to be able to manipulate human beings who are on the other side of that technology. We can have the greatest firewalls in place, but if there's any action with human element, and there always is, that's going to be the weakest. So we need to educate people that work on our companies so that they know what social engineering attacks look like. And typically, if we set up a social engineering awareness campaign, What follows on to that training of individuals at all levels of a company, because it's not only the worker bees that need to be educated, people at the very top need to be educated regarding these types of attacks, as well as be very supportive of implementing particular policies and guidelines within the company to how to safeguard everyone against these type of attacks. And then what we typically will do or recommend, we can conduct it or we can recommend someone to conduct it, will be a penetration testing, where we actually go out and see where the vulnerabilities are or continue to be. And, and it's an ongoing process. Education, testing, looking at the results, and then going back and trying to uh, rectify any sort of vulnerabilities that continue to be there. So it's an ongoing process.
1: I was going to ask you specifically about penetration testing uh, and any kind of stories you'd have to share. We'll have to save some of those for future episodes. I'm sure there's some funny antidotes or stories you have to tell about some of these penetration tests you've done it used to be back in the day all you needed was a clipboard and a walkie-talkie and you can pretty much walk around anywhere and no one would ask any kind of questions but i'm assuming it's a little more difficult than that these days and i'm looking forward to hearing more about those fun stories from you and i'm sure you can bring other people in on those that's going to be great
0: that's why you need to tune in for future episodes
1: Remember, folks, you aren't alone out there. Do your best to educate yourself against the possible scams that are coming your way. Talk to your friends. Talk to your neighbors. Engage them about everything that's going going on around you. And together, folks, we can make a difference. If there is anything we can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Our email is hello at Metascam.com, and we're here to help. Until next time, this has been Andy. And Peter for Metascam.com. Want to get in touch? Follow us on Twitter at MetascamShow or email us at hello at Metascam.com. Visit www.metascam.com for show information, archives and more.